Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Donaldson, Donaldson Piles here at the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, Dr. Larry will be uh, joining us shortly. Uh, so we are going to have a pretty good conversation. We're going to be talking about uh, the Virginia election in particular, a couple of comments made over the weekend with uh, Barack Obama and Tom Stoll, you know, who have two opposite points of view of what the election of Virginia means and what basically 2022 and 24 will mean as well. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to also discuss uh, kind of a statement that I was struck with. And uh, basically, uh, and we're going into it. It's an interview done by the head of the European Research Council, uh, development geneticist Maria Lepton. There's a couple of interesting quotes, and I wanted to kind of get Dr. Larry's opinion on those as soon as he comes on the air. And, and so we're going to, at least I get, get talk about those things, and uh, a lot of different other things are coming down the pike as well. Uh, we'll talk about education actually becoming a winning issue for Republicans, something that we have you know, not seen in a long, long time. And so we're going to really get into some, you know, so those are the conversations we're going to be having uh, later on this show, uh, but I'm going to begin the show very quickly until Larry, Dr. Larry gets on. Is Major League Baseball? It's kind of in, in an interesting quandary here because the All Star Game, the Commissioner of Baseball decided to move the state and to move the All Star Game from Atlanta to eventually Denver, Colorado, because of protests over the Virginia law, which he, over the Georgia voting law, which he probably did bother reading. And, but it was in, but now you got this interesting situation where the World Series, three of the seven games are going to be held in Atlanta, Georgia. And what happens when the Braves win the World Series? What if they win the World Series? Can you imagine? Um, what will happen then? I mean, can you imagine what the commissioner of baseball is going to be having to deal with? You know, maybe eating a little crow? Uh, and only that, on top of all of that, you know, during the playoffs, you know, the infamous, or I should say famous, shop or shop on, where literally the entire fans, you know, go, you know, do the chopping sign, you know, representing uh, 
And so that, and and of course, you don't have all of that as well. So it's going to be a very entertaining. Normally, I would say I I try to keep my politics out of my sports because sports is the one area where I usually go to escape from politics. But this is one of those series that you just get the feeling politics is going to be there in the back of everybody's mind because of the Georgia voting law, because of in the politically incorrect chop because of the name the Braves. So you got the politically incorrect Braves on top of all of that. So I I, I find myself in this peculiar. It's a, you, you. I'll be fascinated to see how the media covers this world series. They have how the Houston Astros. Who basically biggest thing the same is that you know that they were accused of cheating and stealing signals in 2017 when they won their World Series, and so and of course Houston's in Texas, which is of course uh, an, one of those red states that has you know one of those red states. So you so you got that. So it means basically if you were a liberal or a person on the left. You got to be asking yourself, who can I actually root for? Because you got the Texan team, and then you got the Atlanta Braves with their in politically incorrect Braves, with their politically incorrect chop, and having to be a reminder to uh, Braves fans being reminded of the fact that the All Star game was pretty much taken from them. And you got to remember, Atlanta has got a high living there, uh, a majority black if I'm not mistaken, and certainly a lot of black businesses that would have benefited from the All-Star game in which you went and took it to a city that was predominantly white. I mean, all of the name of social justice and racial equality and voting rights, whatever words you want to use. So it's going to be a series that I'm going to be keenly interested in. Not so much about who, what the game of the field, but I'm going to be fascinated by how the media covers this. And I'm going to welcome on the line the famous of the resistance hour, along with myself, Dr. Larry Peteroff. Hello, Dr. Larry. How you doing? Well, I think I'm doing better when I hear that introduction. <laughs> Well, I would say I don't know if you're a baseball fan, whether or not you even have an interest in, you know, the the World Series. But uh, I I, I think it's going to be one of those World Series. I mean, it's going to be I'm going to be fascinated to see how the media covers this because you have on one hand Atlanta that was basically you had the All Star Game taken from them because Major League Baseball and all of the lefties did not like the Georgia voting law. Then you got the team from Texas. So what can a liberal do in such a situation? Who can they root for? And I don't know if you have any interest at all in this game. Well, I must admit, I'm not very, uh, I'm not very uh, uh, familiar with with the ins and outs of all this. Um, I do remember the. All-star uh, controversy, but um, 
I, I must admit I, I am not um, I don't even know who's playing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, well, uh, if you want to talk football, yeah. I know a lot about that, but I don't know much yeah. about baseball. Well, well, the Atlanta Braves are the uh, the National League champs. The Houston Astros are the American League champs. And I thought to myself, I mean, this is one of those series where, okay, you got a team from Texas, which is uh, – which nobody, you know, nobody in the particular, the political left, you know, likes at the moment, along with Florida. And then you got the Atlanta Braves, where you got the politically incorrect Braves name, and they do the chop, where they all go da 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 da. You know, they do the chop, you know, where they take their arms and they move it forward while chanting uh, in a very politically incorrect way. So it's. And then on top of that, like you say, that they, you know, they lost the World Series, they lost the All-Star Game, because supposedly they didn't, you know, the Major League Baseball was doing this for voting rights when, in fact, they, as I say, as my brother said, you know, you know, the Major League Commissioner ought to, to read publicly the voting bill before he's allowed into the stadium. They can understand exactly what it is. He left. He, uh, yeah. So it's gonna be bad. I, I say it's one of those things where, you know, normally, you know, like I said, this one, you know, if you would have asked me about a week ago, I would have cared less. Either one of these two teams, because uh, it's like I, you know, I just want to see a good series. But I kind of decided, you know, I, I just I would love to watch the Braves win, just so the major league commissioner would have to be transferring the trophy to the Atlanta Braves in their locker room. It would be even greater if they do it at home in game five. But that is that. Well, I'm going to do, we're going to take a quick break. And then what I'm going to do here, as I say, we're going to do this. I'm going to read a couple of statements from Barack Obama, Tom Sowell, on the Virginia election, what it means, get your thoughts on what they said, and go from there. We're going to talk about there's a quote that struck me about science and politics by the head of the EU, the European Union's Research Council, which I thought was interesting, and I want to get your opinions on that, and we'll go from there. So this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Piles here at the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day... I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back with Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen uh, to this show every day four at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. on the BachelorNews.Airtime.Pro, BachelorNews.Airtime.Pro, and don't forget, we will be followed by you and the law, with Chief Keith Humphrey, Chief Virgil Green, uh, with honest discussion about law enforcement and the relationship with black and brown communities. Listen, every little... And so you can listen to that show as well every day. And then we'll be following this show on this particular network tonight. Uh, so stay tuned, stay informed here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right. Okay, and here's what I'm going to read here, folks. This is coming from uh, Barack Obama and Tom Salt. For those who, you know, we all, pretty much of you don't know who Barack Obama is, but you may not know who Tom Salt Tom Salt. He's one of the leading economists and thinker probably in the past 20, in this past half century. Uh, he's written numerous books. He's an economist by trade. Uh, he's a, but he's also a conservative, and let's say a black conservative. And so, it, so basically we're going to see two very interesting perspectives here on this, and then I'm going to get Larry's opinion but I'll begin with Barack Obama. These are serious times, and we need serious people. We have too much to get done by going to be going backwards. We need to recover from a global pandemic that has killed more than 700,000 Americans, put millions in harm's way. We don't have time to waste on phony culture wars or fake outrage that right-wing media peddling just to juice up the ratings. You know we can go down this path, but if there's a, and this is the path to ruin. The good news is there's another path we can pull together where we can solve big problems together. We can rebuild our society in a way to give more and more people a better life. The choice we face, the choice that I believe would define not just the next few years, but the next few decades, and to determine for our kids and our grandkids. You can jump in front of a freight train, wrestle a bear for your kids, but right now we need to determine what kind of democracy they're going to inherit, what kind of planet they're going to inherit, what kind of economy they're going to inherit, and what are we leaving for them. That's our choice. Now, Tom Sowell wrote this. One of the reasons of many Virginia parents are outraged by the woke propaganda that their children are subject to in public school. And the governor has sided with the education bureaucrats in the teachers' union. Very few politicians in the state dare to go against teachers' unions. They have millions of votes, millions of dollars in campaign contributions. School propaganda teaches black kids to hit white kids. That is a danger to all Americans of every race. Anyone familiar with the history of group identity politics 
In other countries, though, how often ended up producing sickening atrocities that have torn societies apart. If you have a strong stomach, read about the 1915 atrocities against the Romanians, cleansing in the Balkans, or the reciprocal atrocity between the Sanilis and Tomales and the, the Civil War in Sri Lanka. And don't kid yourself that this cannot happen in America. The relationship between the major groups in Sri Lanka was once held as a model of intergroup. They got along better than blacks and whites ever got along in the U.S. But then a demagogue paralyzed, polarized the country with group identity politics to get himself elected prime minister. But once he got elected, he was ready to moderate the position. But you cannot turn group hatred off and on like a light bulb. He was assassinated, and the hatred continued. There is a point of no return in America as well. We may be near it, perhaps past it. Low-income minority students cannot afford the luxuries of having their homes uh, and their time wasted on ideology and propaganda in schools when they're not even getting a decent education in mathematics or the English language. I think you can make the case that this is – so those are the two statements. So I will start with you, Dr. Larry. How do you view Barack Obama's? How did you view Tom Sowell? What do you think? Well, uh, Obama has always been pitching this theory, this uh, uh, goal of unity. You remember in his acceptance speech uh, way back, he said uh, there are uh, there are no there are no black uh, blue uh, blue states or red states. They're United States, and uh, he really, you know, he really uh, talked about that theme on a uh very uh, frequently even even after he uh is his actions have never unfortunately been in uh tune with his with his goals or his rhetoric and i i think this is the same another example of the same thing uh he's accusing the uh republicans of all the things that the democrats are doing you know, and that's that's been their favorite trick now for the last uh, ten years or so. Um, so the the, uh, the 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 fundamental rule, it seems to me, is the biblical rule: by your by your uh, by their acts, you shall know them. And uh, it's not what you say; it's what you do. And what you do, what they've been doing, is extremely divisive. It, it, they are they are tearing down the very fabric of the United States culture. He's talking about we don't have time for talking about phony cultures. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, you don't talk about it; you just go and destroy it. It's um, it's 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 just a it's it's a very I, I, the man may may believe a lot of this too, stuff too. I, I'm not saying that he's lying or being necessarily. Uh, uh, consciously duplicitous, but but is it's just not it's there's just no there's no consistency between what he's what he says and what he's been doing for his whole political life that I can see. I think Sewell's got a much much more um, a much more uh, 
down to earth and realistic kind of approach when he says if if our schools are teaching the black children to hate the white children that uh, this is uh getting this is very bad for the uh United States and we can't really survive it uh, and that 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 that's true i mean we we are the the whole idea of the united states is that we put aside our tribal differences to the extent that we all agree that we will live under the same laws and under the same uh the same uh approach to uh justice we said that the uh, the goal of the entire commonwealth is the uh, to to uh have the uh, pursuit, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the pursuit of happiness depends upon the law. And the law has to be, uh, you know, it has to be uh, has to be blind in terms of any uh, tribal differences, whether of of nationality or of skin color or of anything else. So, um, what what the what what Obama is talking about right now, we all agree with. What what he's doing is exactly the opposite, and what particularly what Biden is, the Bidens are doing is it's completely opposite of what they're what they're professing in their uh, in their rhetoric. Yeah, well, you know, that's a good point. I mean, here's the thing. like I say, phony cultural war. First of all, I don't think there are phony cultural wars here. I mean, what we you know, we've had. Because what it's we're not looking phony. at is, yeah, there's nothing phony about it because basically what's happening in the classrooms are indeed a significant, it comes down to what does it mean to be an American. And we've got a very big, wide gap, you know, between those who are doing the educating and those who are being educated about what they want children to be taught and what it means to be uh, American. And I, and I also find it fascinating at the same time, you literally have – like in Latin County, where you had a rape of a teenage girl in a bathroom, much of it due to, quote, unquote, transgender policy where a boy put on a skirt, went in, and raped a girl, a teenage girl. And this yeah, was and, and the principal wouldn't admit it. The principal yeah. said, well, it never got reported, so I guess it didn't happen. I mean, well, unfortunately, it talk about complicity, huh? Yeah, no, yeah. In the thing that comes into play, this when the, the the father goes to the school board to complain at a meeting, he's the one that gets arrested. I mean, he obviously showed some emotion to that meeting, but he was the one that gets arrested. And I just find myself fascinated with with this whole, you know, with this whole thing. And and again, I mean, it's not like. You know, when Ukraine, yeah. and I, I don't know if you have a chance. Normally, I, I mean, don't see the deal. It's yeah. not, it's it's not, it's, it's not even common sense to say that uh, that your uh, sex is determined by what you what, what you think. I mean that it's 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 so clear physically. That it just—I mean—it's—it's it's ludicrous if you start, if you think it through, and and yet you got all these people that are trying to pretend that 
that your sexual uh, identity depends upon what you think of it, what you think it is, not what you really are. That's crazy. Uh, no, you're absolutely, yeah, I mean, uh, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where you, I mean, it, it's that. But, but back to the other aspect of the education debate itself, you know, what we call critical race theory, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting, you know, Candida Wright, the former Secretary of State, you know, was on The View, which, yeah. And, and she basically, you know, she, I mean, people should get a YouTube on that because she basically said, I don't want children, black children to be taught hatred for white children, and I don't want white children to be taught, you know, to you know, feel guilty, essentially feel guilty, but you know, something different. I mean, she basically said, in fact, we've got to get away from this hatred being taught because that's exactly what we're doing. And, and I thought it was, you know, again, it's one of those really interesting exchanges. Uh, uh, between her and Whoopi Goldberg, because usually Whoopi goes off. Whoopi and Joy Behar, you know, they tend to go off on a tangent on these cases. But for once, you know, Goldberg actually showed some respect. And uh, and there's a couple of statements that she made that, you know, again, I don't think you and I would disagree with them. And we want, you know, history to be taught, you know, and you know, and and not you know have all of the warts as well as. The benefits of our society. We have never, you know, I don't think anybody ever say we don't want that. But we also don't want a, a incorrect version of history taught. And we certainly don't want to have a situation where we're talking about the balkanization and the separation by races of our society. And, and, and I want to kind of follow up on a point that Tom Sowell makes because it's a vitally important point. This is Tom Donaldson here in the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. Welcome back to the Donaldson Files here on the Batchman News Radio Network. You can listen to this show every day uh, between uh, 4 a.m. You can see 4 a.m. to noon, and you can also listen to the show 5 to 
4 to 5 p.m. every day on the bastionnews.airtime.pro Eastern Standard Time, or you can come to Central Time Zone. Uh, Central Time Zone. Uh, t- uh, 10 and 3 a.m. Uh, 10 and 3 p.m. God, I got to get all these things right. Uh, all right. <laughs> There's so many times I have to try to remember here. Uh, all right. Here, uh, he talks about very clearly. And I want you to kind of get your views on because you've talked about, you know, where we're at and future of this country. And this is a battle of a much bigger war. And he talks to the fact that there is a point of no return in America as well when it comes to the balkanization, the separation of our, let's say, of our society. And he says we may be nearing it and we may even be past it. And I think that this You know, is a very interesting point. You've talked about this, you know, where we're, you know, we're talking about the balkanization. We're talking about, you know, have we are reaching that breaking point where we can no longer be one country and we're dealing with, uh, and you kind of brought your own fear to that. So what, what you know, when you read that or heard that, you know, what's your thoughts? Well, I think, I think it's true. Um, I think we are on the verge of, uh, Re, redoing, if you will, the uh, the uh, United States of America, and I think that the whole idea of uh, re- replacing our uh, culture, which the, the byword of our culture is freedom, and and what we're t- what we're talking about is freedom in many ways. You know, there's freedom from, and there's freedom to. Freedom from is where the major uh, the major conflicts of of history have, of human history have been. You know, freedom from sickness, freedom from poverty, freedom from uh, starvation, freedom from uh, oppression, and freedom from uh, all of the uh, uh, limitation. Freedom from human human work, or at least demeaning human work. And uh, and then the, and for what? The, what when you get if you get all freedom from all this, uh, what what is left? Well, then it's freedom for, freedom for what? Freedom for opportunity, freedom for the right to uh, choose your 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 light your your mate, your mother, your husband or wife. Free freedom to choose what your children's. Uh, uh, schools and what their curriculum should be uh, freedom is a, is the byword of our entire culture and and freedom of opportunity and freedom for everybody freedom no matter what your race or color or creed or uh, disposition is and so what we're talking about now is we're talking about freedom which is dependent upon the government, and that means no freedom at all. And ultimately, if if all of these, uh, if the if the nanny state that we see starting to be openly, uh, openly uh, encouraged and and 
uh, attempt the attempt to put it into law where uh, you de- where everybody depends upon the state and the state is not the uh, people that uh, we necessarily elect we they are the people that we are forced to uh, accommodate it's really the bureaucratic state and not the dem- democratic state and if this is if this is our future then we're we're getting close to what I consider closer to the Nazis than we are to the uh, to the communists, and this is uh, this is this is a uh, this is really a, a critical critical time in the history of the United States of America, and so when uh, Barack Obama talks about the the phony state or the the uh, these 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 uh, false uh, discussions about the culture uh, and says we we don't have time for that. What we have to do is take care of the current needs. He's talking about uh, we've got he th- he thinks we've got a bunch of freedoms from that we haven't accomplished yet. We he wants to make sure that the that the state uh, 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 takes care and tells us what kind of uh, uh, what kind of uh, education we should have, and what kind of uh, uh, industries we should have, and so on. And and he's purpose. I think he's got to be purpose. He's a smart guy. He's got to be. He's he's purposely trying to to um, obscure the 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 primary thrust of the entire Democrat Party the way it is now. And and. This I feel if we don't win this next election, uh, that we may have lost our last chance because these people are serious, they're fanatic in many ways, and they are not broaching broach they they broach no uh, dispute or no or no dissent. Uh, they they their idea of uh, trying to dialogue with their enemy with their uh, the people that don't agree with them is uh, you must uh, destroy them. It isn't you must convert them or you must try to accommodate them or must learn, learn how to live with them. You're, they're, they're trying to destroy them. And in that sense, uh, they're very close to a t- t- totalitarian uh, mentality. Well, yeah, like I say, it's, it's You've got to, you're you're kind of, you're definitely making some very valid points that need to be listened to, because that's you know we're at that you know, you know how far can we continue this? Because we really, I mean, would you have people literally saying it's time for two Americas to separate out? I find my you know, you know and we're having people actually having this conversation. You know that's a serious issue, where there's that you have that much dissatisfaction. With what's happening here, and uh, and here, let me take this even a step further here because this, you know, because I wanted to kind of go into that, but take this even a step further because McCullough and Obama are making another argument that's often made, but it it is okay. For example, McCullough says, okay. I'm, listen to me. I'm going to spend billions of dollars on education. I'm going to hire more teachers, more this, more that, and and you see the same thing with 
is what Obama is doing. You know, he's basically saying, you know, we are going to solve big problems together. We're going to rebuild our society, make a better life. And, and when it comes down to the education side, we're going to be spending money. And uh, whereas I think the Yunting campaign is caught on to, and a lot of Republicans are caught on to, is there are a lot of things in education that is more than just about dollars and cents, but it was actually being taught in the schools. I mean, this was a from the Washington Post where they had a series of still somehow no, this guy got some inside information by two re- Republican senators that talked about an internal poll of battleground states. Seventy-eight percent agreed with the statement: many public school systems are failing and children are falling behind. Sixty-five percent agreed that biological males to compete against women in high school and college sports is hugely unfair and will raise many of the gains that women have made in athletics. 58% agree that critical race theory should not be taught because children should not be told that they're inherently racist based on the color of their skin. Traditionally, Democrats have held advantages in education, but the parental anger and learning loss caused by school closure has shifted the landscape. And many moms and dads are now looking at the teachers' unions as the, as the main problem. Mass mandates may pull well, but they also add to the tension. And this is a gift you know, it goes back to, I mean, you listen to this, and you, and what we're hearing from Republicans, or let's say and uh, of this campaign in Virginia, which ought to be something we should be thinking about, is we want to know what's happening in the classroom. It's not just about, hey, you can hire as many teachers as you want, but if you have garbage going into the classroom, it benefits nobody. It's what's going on in the actual learning process itself. And I know you and I had this conversation about, was it a week ago or two weeks ago? I can't remember when. Uh, <laughs> you know, with our, our good, our, your, your ophthalmologist friend, who is a school board member, and, you know, we all three, you know, talk about the fact that a lot of parents got to see what was actually going on in the classroom when they were basically sitting at home watching their kids on the Zoom lesson. And I, you know, and I'm thinking, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that that had to be a eye opener for quite a few parents. Like they're teaching what? Did I just hear that correctly? And then when the teachers union essentially said, "Hey, yeah, we want to keep getting paid for not having to teach kids, and we want to keep them out of school," and and this is a point that our our mutual friends stated. And by the way, our mutual friends are Democrats. That this. People were falling behind on these test scores. This was not aiding them. This was hurting them. And that at least a third of these kids weren't even getting educated at all. But I just think it's an interesting switch because we're no longer talking about spending money. We're actually talking about what goes on in the classroom. Your thoughts? Well, I I thought it was – 
I mean, just to, to be a little bit realistic here, uh, I thought it was the height of uh, of uh, arrogance and stupidity when when the teachers decided that they wanted to uh, they wanted to be paid, but they didn't want to work. And and I mean, who in in who in the world has ever ever tried to pull that off for any uh, you know, in any in any environment, uh, it's and then they got away, they really got away with it, in 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 many cases because uh, uh, they 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 did get paid, they didn't work, and and uh, the the ones that did work were absolutely overwhelmed with with work because they didn't know they didn't, most teachers. Uh, have have never had any experience either as students and let alone as uh, as practitioners of distance learning. They they knew nothing about it, so they had to they had to work very hard to come up with lesson plans and 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 whatever and and technology and so on. And so they didn't want to do it, so they didn't do it. They said we and they didn't say we don't want to teach. They said we don't want to catch uh, the COVID-19. So, who is going to argue with them? Well, a lot of people started to argue with them, and and then even after the uh, the vaccine was uh, become had become very uh, uh, easily uh, obtained, they still didn't want to work. Uh, once you get that kind of arrogance, and then you start finding out that what they're teaching is so anti-American, and that they're not. They're, they're, a lot of them, of course, didn't didn't like it, but they did it, and they they taught what they were what they were told to teach, and uh, uh, and but the arrogance of that whole that whole community now. I mean, this used to be the the, the approach that college professors were taking. You know, they they hid under uh, free, the academic uh, freedom that uh, you're supposed to be able to say whatever you want, and uh, everybody's supposed to give you. Uh, they, they might disagree with you, but they die for the for your uh, uh, opportunity to do it. You're right to do it. And now that's spread down to the to K-12, and it's just becoming over over. In fact, I think, frankly, if if we, if uh, if if the traditional Americans prevail here in the next uh, in the next uh, four to six years, I think that the uh, the uh, attitudes that American the American uh, population general have against uh, about education in in public and having the government run our schools is uh, fast uh, dissipating. And I think we so may be on. having the very yeah. first chance in our lives to have freedom of or school choice. Go ahead. So hold on, son. Yeah, hold on, son. This is Tom Bowser, Bowser Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger 
and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Master News Radio Network with my good friend and the co-host, or I should say the main host, in which I'm just simply number two in command of the Resistance Hour every 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on this network every Wednesday. And tomorrow we're uh, we, Actually, are we still working on tomorrow's show? Or do we have a guest yet? Um, you said you were going to get one. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So we're still working on it. All right. So, yeah, okay. Back to where we're at. And don't forget, tomorrow on the Donaldson Files, uh, Maury Richards goes back for the second part, Police in the 21st Century. And... Uh, And, and, and I'm going back, yeah. I'm going to like say, I'm going to back to get and say you make a very good point, and I want to kind of follow up. You know, like I think for the first time in a long time, you know, parents are seeing, you know, what's behind the curtain. You kind of like uh, the Wizard, the of, Wizard Oz. of Oz. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. They're seeing what's behind the curtain and being exposed to it, and being exposed to some of the arrogance. I mean. I think to me, it'd be interesting to see what happens in Virginia because to me, what I was seeing from a long, you know, to me it had to be, I'm hoping it was the last straw, or it should be a last straw, when you have the Attorney General of the country basically saying, you know, treating parents to go to school board meetings as domestic terrorists or the equivalent thereof. I mean, when governments are based, when your own federal government is basically saying to you, how dare you question your education, you domestic terrorist? And that is freedom from. Yeah, exactly. Because this is why we have a constitution to begin with, so that government understands it is limited in its power, uh, limited in its power, and it, 
And I think this is one of it's like the wake up call where you basically have your own government basically saying, if you dare to question the edict of the education bureaucracy and demand that you have a say in what your kids get educated on, I mean, I have to be honest with you. When this happened, my first thought is, what is going on that somebody thought this was a brilliant idea? Politically speaking, well, you know, it's the the whole thing is just very, very. Uh, we are on the edge. We're we're on the precipice of. Uh, we take one more step. I think we're over the. We're 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 going to go over the over the edge. And we we just we've got to get together and and stop these these fanatics. These people are just they're just uh, incredibly. Uh, uh, I I I think they're evil. It's not necessarily that they're evil people, but it what it is is that they are uh, what they do is evil. It's evil for for the uh, from the point of view of traditional American freedom. It, it is injurious to our culture if if we want to rebut uh, Mr. Obama, and and uh, we we just have to we have to get realize that we're in trouble, and we've got to do something about it. And so many people are just. They they don't like it, but they don't re- they don't really make much of a difference in terms of their own behavior, you know. Um, and I'm just I I I guess I'm getting on a on a pulpit here, but I just I just don't like it at all. I'm scared of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, but here's the, now I'm going to go to another subject here. I'm going to kind of switch to a little bit, but this quote got. This was the the science. I guess this the individual is running the European Union Research Council, and and she and this was the question asked of her: Do you think it would be better to keep politics out of science? And she said, "It is the prerogative of elected governments to determine what goes on in their constituents. If a science is part of that, then they should have a say." Then she adds this. This, to me, is the crest of the arrogance that we see with a good portion of our bureaucracy and scientific class. But politicians who are not trained in science should not meddle in our day-to-day business or tell scientists what is right or wrong. I would see it as my duty to explain to politicians what's best and to get them to realize that. They distribute the money, so we have to make them understand what good for the people, yeah, rather than say stay out. I thought, you know, I'm going to repeat the last portions again. Politicians are not trained in science, should not meddle in our day-to-day business or tell scientists what is right, what is wrong. We should see that my duty to explain to politicians what's best and get them realized. That they should distribute the money, but we have to make them understand what's good for the people. Your thoughts? Well, she's talking about the uh, <clears throat> the, the role or the value of uh, of pure research, isn't she? Yeah, 
And I'm so, not. I, mean, I, I yeah. So I think what I was. I think what she's yeah. saying, at least the context I thought, was that she is saying that when we, when the public policy gets around to needing science, that uh, they ought to they ought to listen to the scientists, and uh, and not try to uh, educate or uh, legislate. Uh, against uh, against what the what the scientists uh, you know think is right, and it sounded to me like like a case in point would be what we're trying to do now in terms of COVID, that uh, the politicians have taken over the whole idea of this pandemic, and they're trying to make uh, rules about it, laws about it, and um, really they don't. They're not paying any attention to what science is telling them. And I well, I, know, I, I, I actually, I totally, I totally disagree with that because this, I have the complete opposite dealing with COVID. That the scientists themselves got the science wrong, and that the politicians found themselves depending upon bad science to make bad policy. And maybe here's the thing: it comes to me, you know, what tells scientists what's right and what's wrong. Well, you have a Tony Fauci who've got a good portion of the science wrong, and we based our policies on that. And, and, and scientists by themselves don't always agree on a lot of issues. And essentially what we have is a scientific class that says, okay, this is what we want you to believe. That's how I interpret it. You know, it's like the way she puts it. We have to make them understand what's good for people. Well, if the science is wrong, uh, they're going to get it wrong. I mean, politicians – Use the bureaucrat and the science to enhance government control, in my view. But the yeah, science but they got, they got it from Tony Fauci, as an example. And, and I think this is to me what scares me in that regard is that, uh, you know, this is how you end up with funding gain of function research or torturing puppies for scientific research. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I know what you're saying to an extent, but I, I found this to be more arrogant than I found uh, as opposed to saying, well, you know, we don't interfere with the, re- the re- you know, and let the scientific process work. But if, you know, but when you have scientists saying uh, this is what we're finding, we expect you to, you need to be doing this based on that. Uh, you know, unless you get the science right, you know, yeah, but I, think, I think you're assuming that, that Tony Fauci is a scientist. <laughs> um, well, Tony, well, yeah. Tony Fauci is not following the science himself, and uh, I don't. I don't. I, I think yeah. that the Biden administration is, uh, as a whole, is not following anything scientific at all. Uh, you know, yeah. they're they're changing their their tune about every two weeks, and. It's uh, it's it's all it's all based upon um, politics, as far as I can tell. Well, I would agree with that, but to me, science. You know, I, I'm up for this way. Can I truly believe that there are scientists who will compromise their politic, their science, to fulfill their political agenda or whatever agenda they may have? I, we see this with climate change. We are seeing this with the COVID uh, restrictions. I mean, this was not based on a bunch of politicians 
saying let's do it. This was based on people claiming in the name of science we need to be doing this. And we still have people in the name of science. And this is what you end up with. Is I guess the question is if you could trust scientists to be scientists, here's the facts, here's what we suggest, and, and go from there, and then let the political process work itself out. Now, what happens when the scientific community itself is driven by politics? Well, and that's what we've got in climate change. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't know if there is a good answer. <laughs> I, th- I yeah. think, uh, I think that the, the, if if you were really, really being scientific and and following the the uh, general ethics of of uh, any science, any empirical science, anyway, um, that you even if you're if you're a politician, what you would do, what you would want to do, is you would want to take what the take what all of the consensus of of the scientists is. First of all, you you do what DeSantis did. You go and study the thing yourself, and you'd also take a look at all of the various uh, um, opinions and 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 research and data that you could. And then you you pick out, you use it as an advisory tool, and you pick out what you think is right, and uh, you check it out with uh, the people you respect in the in the field, and then you go forward with it. Uh, I think he's doing it exactly right. And this this woman that we're talking about, if that's what she has in mind, if if DeSantis comes to her and says, you know, what is the uh, what is the uh, scientific consensus in uh, in, in uh, nuclear physics on this particular topic? And she happens to know, or she or she uh, can find it and help him. And she 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 ought to do it. And I don't think she. It, I didn't get the impression she's saying that the politicians ought to follow everything that scientists say. As so much as we need to educate the politicians about what the what the issues really are. Yeah. But well, I yeah I interpret it uh, differently. Uh, mainly maybe because I, I have you know watching the last seventeen eighteen months and listening you know and having these the quote unquote experts basically allow political facts, the political narrative to get in the way of their science. And that's what I've always feared. You know, I've you know I've written about this in my original book, and I've you know in my upcoming book I'm going to continue to follow up on the idea. I mean that's how I interpret it. I know you're basically saying that, you know, that basically she says we'll give you the best advice and go from there. Uh, I just think, quite frankly, there's a touch of I just felt that there was a touch of arrogance in what she stated. So. Maybe we again we're having different interpretation of what she's saying. Well, no matter what right, she's saying, I still think that's the best way for them to go. <laughs> I think I think you know if you've got a tough question, you go to the people yeah. that are supposed to know the most about it. And you try to figure out what they're talking about, and and then uh, you know you you put it together with what you think is real, and and you go on from there. Um, oh, hold on. Yeah, well, that thought. This is thank you, Larry, for uh, coming in at the last minute. Uh, 
Uh, Coco Kosky, uh mentioned to me she had some kidney stones uh, yesterday, and she's on pain medications. Uh, and so she was uh, didn't think it would be a good idea to be high on pain medication be on the show. Uh, so hopefully next week she'll be ready to come back on. This is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson Files. Uh, you and the Law follows next here on the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Thank everyone for tuning in and joining you and the Law Podcast Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we hope everybody is having a, a great day. Uh, we've got a uh, a good show, uh, that, uh, a, a topic that we're going to be talking about. Uh, this month is um, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and so today we're going to have on a um, a guest uh, who is going to be talking to us about uh, domestic violence. Uh, she is a survivor of domestic violence, and she is also the president of Aunt Mom's Basic Tribe Foundation. So we are definitely going to be honored to have on the podcast show Miss um, Helena, and uh, I want to make sure I get that, pronounce that name right, because I was uh, police chief in Helena, West Helena, Arkansas, and her name is so close to to Helena. So um, we uh, want to make sure that uh, uh, I get the name right. So, um, again, we want to remind all of our listeners that um, the calling number to the show is 646-929-0130. That's 646-929-0130. And if you miss any parts of this live live broadcast, uh, definitely uh, go to uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. That's thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And uh, to listen to the rebroadcast of the uh, You and the Law podcast show. So, uh, we're going to um, join our guest, Miss um, Helena, uh, who is um, who's going to talk to us about domestic violence uh, because this is something that uh, is definitely a, uh, a a big topic that's going on in the uh, uh, in the African American community. 
Um, and it's something that uh, definitely impacts uh, a lot of women, but also men are also victims of domestic violence as well. And so, um, Helena, we are glad that you are able to come on the uh, show and talk to us about uh, domestic violence. Thank you. I am. Um, are, are you can there you hear with me? us? Yeah. I'm yes, here. I can. Yep. Um, Okay. Yeah, I was saying uh, that I'm honored to be on the show. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And and I know this is a uh, a topic that is uh, very uh, that is near to you because you are a survivor of domestic violence, and you know it takes a lot of um, a lot of courage uh, for someone who has been a, a victim of, of domestic violence to come out. And, and to speak openly and publicly about uh, the things that they uh, experience. But, you know, so I want to say this before we go any further. You know, I don't know if you saw this video, but we talked about it on our uh, podcast show uh, a few weeks ago. There was a disturbing video uh, incident that took place in Philadelphia where a um, lady was sexually assaulted on a train where so many people watched and actually took out their phones to, to film this incident. And I guess to me that really was uh, where is our society at when we are um, talking about domestic violence and sexual assault and how people are just so numb to it. And if they see it, they don't do anything to, prevent it from happening, or do, they don't do anything to report it to law enforcement. So, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about a lot of a lot of these different topics, uh, why our black churches are not involved in domestic violence uh, outreach. Uh, but uh, start off telling us how did you form this uh, nonprofit organization called Aunt Mom's Basic Tribe Foundation. Well, I formed this um, foundation because I am a mother of four children, and I'm also an aunt of um, several children that I happen to raise. My mom would always say that I raised more children than I had. And so Basic Tribe is something that I came up with as far as we would always say it takes – a tribe, or it takes a community to raise children. So we put together Aunt Mom Basic Tribe. But my heart in this foundation is domestic violence, homelessness, and also, most importantly, children. It breaks my heart to see any child out there um, in need for anything. As a domestic violence survivor, homelessness is one thing that happens. Because when you leave, you have no place to go. If you want to survive, you end up on the streets. So homelessness is very near and dear to my heart as well. And so with this um, um, organization, those are some of the things that we want to combat. We want to combat homelessness. We want to combat domestic violence. We want to combat hunger. We just just, are out in the community trying to do all of the community work we can possibly do. Um, in those areas. Okay, okay. And and as you know, I mean, when we talk about domestic violence, uh, you know, it 
it impacts, you know, the children that's in the home. Uh, it also impacts other extended family members. But but one of the things that if a person is a victim of domestic violence, they may have to leave the home. There may not be a uh, a women's shelter that they can go to. And oftentimes, especially in the law enforcement, we've, we've seen women who they resort to sleeping in the car, so they're basically homeless uh, unless they can go stay with a with a with a family uh, a family member. Have you uh, noticed anything like that? Uh, it, because you're you're in Little Rock, Arkansas, so have you noticed anything like that as you're out uh, doing your 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 work in the community? That is definitely one part of um, our work. You can go under a bridge. The the Little Rock was Little Rock Bridge. That bridge is Little Rock to North Little Rock. And you find mm-hmm. families there. It, it, it is mothers with their children running away, trying. They're homeless. They have no place to go. The families won't take them in because they didn't want to be a part of what was going on over at that house. You know, in our community, it, it we have this thing called you know what happens in our house, stays in our house, and that kind of um, kind of drifts out in, into life, I guess, for a woman that is trying to run away from domestic violence because she has to run away with her children, and she ends up on the streets, her and her children. Yeah. And so what we do, to, we provide transportation and maybe some emergency shelter and try to give them resources to shelters that could possibly help them move into maybe some hood housing or something like that. Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, Helena, we're going to be coming up on – we're about to come up on our first break, and I want to remind our listeners, if you're just now tuning into the show, um, this is uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, October is, every year. And so, uh, you know, here on You and the Law Podcast Show, we want to also be a part of raising the awareness of domestic violence uh, because it's often a, a topic that is not talked about a lot in the black community. And, you know, Helena, you know, everyone knows someone who has been a victim of domestic violence. And and also, mm-hmm. men are, can also be, become victims of domestic violence. But we're going to take our, our first break, and when we come back, we're going to get into the conversation of uh, everyone knows someone but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You know, two directors are shining a light on survivors of abuse. And So I Stayed is an award-winning documentary about three survivors who strikingly have similar stories and were separated by 30 years. They all point to how no one believed their stories about their abuse and each ended up behind bars together to fight back. Here's a clip. We all had police reports, hospital records, witness statements, pictures of violations. For God's sake, Nikki's abuser raped her and and uploaded it to a porn site. What more evidence do you need? Why didn't my hospital records matter? Why didn't Nikki's hospital records matter? Why didn't Tanisha's hospital records matter? Why didn't my police reports matter? Why didn't Nikki's police reports matter? Why didn't Tanisha's police reports matter? Why didn't 
my scars, bruises, and marks on me matter? Why didn't Nikki's matter? Why didn't Tanisha's matter? Why does it not matter? What happens to us? Wow powerful what matters to us because we're talking about it joining me now as we honor domestic violence awareness month the film's directors natalie batillo and daniel daniel nelson as well as formerly incarcerated survivor and advocate kim brown thank you all so much for being here Thanks thank you for having me natalie what inspired you to make this film well, it, it started out of um, my own experiences of being a survivor of domestic violence. And also, um, in 2010, my uh, sister was killed by her abuser. And um, when I went to grad school at Columbia, I knew that I wanted to cover domestic violence. And that was back in 2015. And um, there was a advisor who sort of, I told my personal story to and said, why don't you cover the story about survivors who are criminalized for fighting back? And in my mind, it just like did not make sense that we were putting survivors behind bars for their acts of survival, whether it was self-defense or being coerced to commit a crime by their abuser. Uh, you know, survivors often feel like it's a life or death situation, and it really is. So since then, I uh, decided that I would continue to um, report that and that's how I um, I learned about Kim and her incredible work with New York's Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act. I had also um, at that time sent my um, story uh, to Dan, who's co-director, and uh, I'll let him sort of speak to how he came on and then obviously let Kim speak, on to speak about her experience <laughs> as well. You got it. I'll guide the conversation. Kim, you know, you were incarcerated for 17 years for killing your abusive husband. Why? What was it? What was it you lacked? What was it that you weren't getting? Who wasn't hearing you that 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 caused you or pushed you to the point where you felt like that was your only option? Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for having us this morning. Um, I think it's the lack of um, a lack of a, a trauma-informed approach when you bring your abuser to the courtroom. I had five um, arrest warrants for Darnell. I had hospital records, police reports, battered women's shelter reports. I had him arrested five times, but none of that seemed to matter at court. And every time we went to court, you know, I was the upset hysterical woman that no one was really paying attention to and um he would stand there and say how i he doesn't want anything to do with me and then as soon as we would get outside he would be right there grabbing me by by the little fat roll on my side pinching me hard saying come on let's go so it was um a lack of support from the system you you know i i went to the court I, I filed police reports. I did everything I thought I was supposed to do to be safe, and nothing, no one kept me safe. It's just, it's, it's heartbreaking uh, just hearing that. And unfortunately, we hear these types of stories far too often. And Daniel, um, my guess is you were pretty surprised uh, to hear 
uh, many things about these survivors and within Kim's story and, and others. Do you think this doc can make a difference? Do you think this is finally kind of the angle, the feel, the emotion, the characters that can drive home why something has to be done to protect women like Kim? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when I first started this and, and Natalie showed me this uh, the story, which was originally Kim's story in a version of her master's thesis, I was really blown away by how prevalent this issue was uh, being criminalized for, for defending yourself against your abuser. Um, and Natalie's an incredible writer and journalist, so the story was incredible. And Kim is one of those people who just sort of jumps off the page when you read about her. And yeah, I feel like documentary film is, is a medium that is very impactful for talking about issues like this. And I just hope that people walk away from this film understanding that um, I, I think folks have a tendency to just trust that the legal system is doing the right thing. Um, and in many cases, it does not, particularly with uh, domestic violence survivors and so I hope that people can watch that this film and see that agreed and Natalie you know the New York Times covered uh, how your film actually played a role in Tanisha Davis's case she's featured in the film which resulted in freedom after a conviction what was that like for you and does it show you just the power of what your filmmaking can do it really does. It really does uh, show us the power of, you know, storytelling and, and survivors using their voice. Um, we, we were honored to be a part of that process. We worked with Tanisha and her lawyers to put together a video statement with her application to be resentenced under this new law that, you know, Kim had fought for for 10 years. So it was a day that I will never forget. And um, you know, there's still women behind bars like Tanisha. There's Nikki Adamando who faced a 19 to life sentence. So, you know, the work is not done, um, although that was, you know, very uplifting for us. We, we still hope to, to free more survivors, um, whether it's through educating, uh, you know, the legal system, uh, trainings, uh, you know, uh, and just empathy. Like really, truly, it's like these are people's lives. They, they, these survivors had have hopes and dreams. They, you know, are not a true crime story. They should not be reduced to that. And uh, there's real nuance that should be explored in um, learning about domestic violence. And and I hope that our film can contribute to to that conversation. Well, it already has, uh, and you're helping women get their power back. Kim, Natalie, Daniel, thank you so much. And Natalie. Uh, your strength is, is, is so amazing. Appreciate all three of you for what you're doing. Thank you for, Thanks having, for having us. Hi, everyone. George Stephan. Hey, I want to welcome everyone back to you and the Law Broadcast Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we just listened to a, um, uh, a news clipping uh, related to uh, domestic violence in what women experience when they report domestic violence. And I think it was real important to play that whole entirety of that news clip uh, just so our listeners can understand just the what women experience and what they go through. And, and uh, Helena, I think it's real important that, you know, to have somebody like you on the show who has – being a survivor of domestic violence, it just, um, 
you can actually speak uh, to how some of those women in that uh, news uh, article, in that news clip, uh, as to the same thing that you may have experienced. Um, absolutely, um, the part where you know they beat you in they beat you in a way that they don't leave bruises, and the police come and they say, you know, he's not going to go to jail. I don't see a bruise on him on you, and. If you finally get a bruise, you're beaten so bad. And when you finally go to court, you know, the judges, where's your um, restraining order? You know, these days, those restraining orders is just a piece, of, a paper. piece of paper. And those yeah. guys, they don't care anything about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Helena, I, I want to also remind our listeners that if you're just now tuning into the show, uh, if you're on – the phone or if you're online uh, listen at blogtalkradio.com uh, backslash LA Bachelor and if you're in the chat room uh, if you've got a if you would like to come on the show let the producer know he screened the calls um, if you got a comment or a question or just like to even share your experience uh, of what you may have went through uh, being a victim of domestic violence uh, just let him know, and he'll put you on the show with us. Or if you just got a, a question, send your questions in the chat room. Um, and if you just like to listen to the show, uh, please do so. But uh, just want to let you know that if you are on the line, on the phone listening or online listening, if you'd like to come on, you well more than welcome to, to have you uh, join in on the conversation because I think this is a, a real important conversation. And, you know, even though – you know, Helena, you know, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but this is a, as you know, a 365-day, uh, every woman uh, or men or and people in the LGBTQ community, they deal with this. So this isn't just something that only, you know, we just talk about it in October, but it's something that occurs every single day throughout the year. Absolutely. And you you um, hit on the LGBTQ community. That community is so forgotten. They have such a high rate of domestic violence and a high rate of homelessness due to domestic violence. And they are really a, a society when it comes to that because nobody realizes that, you know, it, it happens in, to women, to men in relationships. Mm-hmm. Man-on-man mm-hmm. relationship, women-on-women relationship, domestic violence. Uh, I call domestic violence the silent killer of women mm-hmm. and partners. It is equivalent to a stroke because no one wants to talk about it. There's a big stigma about domestic violence. You don't want you don't want to be that weak person that um, is being beat on. You don't want to talk about yeah. it. It's a big secret. Yeah, it is. And and you know the 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 statistics are really disturbing uh when you look at some of the statistics that is available where uh you know over 41% of black women have been physically abused by a partner during their lifetime. Uh and, and these statistics come from the National Crime Victim Survey, uh which is NCVS. And, and one of the things that, that stood out to me, uh, Helena, was between 2003 and 2012, at a rate of 4.7% uh, 
or a thousand black women or African American had the highest rate of intimate partner violence compared to to a white woman, which was three point nine per thousand, and the Hispanics was about two point three uh, per thousand. So you can see the disparities between the different races of black women, white women, and and uh, Latinos. Yes, definitely. There is um, when you're out on the street um, and you're doing any kind of community work, you will see more women of color out there for those exact reasons. Because, again, in our culture, it's what happens in my house stays in my house, and I don't want that mess in my house. So they yeah. have no place to go but to the streets. And, and it's we have huge disparities in a lot of things. And Arkansas, on that list, I think we rank, rank 35 in domestic violence. Wow, wow. Um, well, you know, um, one of the things that, and, you know, we talked about this uh, before the show, and we're going to talk about it uh, uh, before the show ends, is that uh, it's a silent, it's silent in the black community. And one of the things that's very disturbing, and I hope we have some, some pastors who are listening to the show, because in the church, this is something that, and I'm going to share this, this number with you. Sadly, 37% of pastors surveyed say that they, uh, that they believe that domestic and sexual violence does not occur in their congregations. But, Helena, we're, going to, we're coming up on our next break, and we're going to take this break, and we come back, we're going to get back into the conversation about domestic violence awareness in the month of October. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you've got a clogged up nose, simply stuffy. If you've got a snuffy nose, simply stuffy. If the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, from the makers of Children's Tylenol. It has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get your stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious body, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, use as directed. Welcome back to the Bachelor uh, News Radio Network and, of course, the show You and the Law, the You and the Law broadcast with Chief Virgil Green, Chief uh, Keith Humphrey, off this evening. He's off and, of course, uh, uh, dealing with the topic of domestic violence in this month, this month of October, uh, being the, the Domestic Violence Month. Don't forget, if you miss is this broadcast, you can go to the website, and we see a bunch of folks on uh, listening uh, at the T-H-E Bachelor, B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R, news.airtime.pro, the Bachelor News.airtime.pro. You can listen to the rebroadcast of this show. And, of course, uh, if you have questions, if you're on the 
646-929-2901-30 number line. Uh, we will be screening, I will be screening the calls and ask you if you have questions or comments of this topic, this guest, this host. And, of course, uh, you uh, can make your knowns, your uh, comment known uh, in the chat room. Um, I, I want, uh, Chief, to ask uh, a two-part question to Sister Helena. Sister, I, I appreciate you coming on, and I, I think this is a very important topic, and um, uh, and this might not be the most... Um, you know, pop popular question, but I will ask that if you are in a situation as a man and men tend to go through verbal abuse, um, police officers and law enforcement, as the chief is, is discussing in, in that realm, have to deal with a lot of the physicality. Certainly, I've seen in my own family, uh, men being physical with women. But I've also seen situations where women might be overly intoxicated, right, and then they fight. And then conventional wisdom is, from, from a society standpoint, is that you take the man out of the house. Uh, he might have all the scratches and the beat down, but you take him away because... Society says that the man is, in in most cases, more physical. You take him away. So what do you say about those situations, those rare situations where women are the aggressive and they're beating that, you know what, out of the dude and, and the dude has to go through those things? And then uh, the, the second part of it is... Um, I think, especially in our culture, you mentioned that, sis and, and chief, is that we just say stop doing it. Like, just leave. Like, dude is beating the hell out of you. Just leave. But that it's not that mm-hmm. simple. So what do you say to people that don't seem to understand that in our culture, whether we're in our culture or outside the culture, that we don't get it? Like, for women, it's just not that simple. You just leave. It's 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 mental. A lot of different things and dynamics that go into it that people don't seem to society to understand. So that you just don't leave. It's a lot goes into all of that that people don't really understand. Two part, if you will. Um, the first part, um, the man. I I can't speak on the man part simply because I'm not a man, but I have seen men beaten before. And um, I think domestic violence is wrong, whether it's a woman dishing it or receiving it. The second part of the question I can address, because as a domestic violence survivor, I can tell you just leaving is just not what you can do. Um, For me, I, I said, and I thought, I'm sorry. Thank you. I, 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 I about, hear a lot of women that don't, uh, the people that have never experienced it just say, just leave. So thank you for saying that. You you, you can't just leave because you, mentally, as you said, you're thinking about, for me, I was, I was 18, 19 years old. I felt accomplished. I was in college. 
I had just bought a house full of furniture. I had a new car, and this man would beat me every day. Just leave? Oh, my God, I got to leave my furniture? I got to leave my car? I got, I just, I, where am I going to go? You have no place to go. You don't want to be on the street. But when I woke up in the hospital with my child dead and my face looking like um, a pumpkin head, that's when it was too late to leave. But I had to go. I had no other choice. And for women with children, it's absolutely the last thing you think about is I got, I'm going to leave because I have no place to go and I don't want my children to sleep in a car and I don't want them to be hungry and I don't, they know what's going on. But maybe if I hide it again, you know, or, you know, not let them hear it, then it'll go away. And it doesn't go away. It escalates. Because if they hit you once, it's going to continue. And it yeah. escalates. It really does. And, and Chief, just, to, just to, let me get out of your way, but just to follow up with that, uh, that's got to be hard because if you if you come across someone that might have a sense of embarrassment or whatever the case may be as a woman in that situation, um, you're trying to help, but you're a responder, right? So you're not there and you're going to do this and you're going to give them some numbers to for whatever. You might have some stuff mm-hmm. for shelters, but you're not, you know what I mean? You're not, you're, you're there to respond and you're not there to be the social worker and, and all that. You could arrest somebody if, it, if it's on, on spot, but it makes it difficult, I would think, Chief, Green, that you have to be able to be all those things, and that's really not your position. Although you wanted to be, that maybe not be your position of where you have to go and and the the, the short term, the immediate response. Yeah, well, in LA, and I think in, into the listener, you know, one of the things you know you mentioned that uh, police officers aren't the social workers; they're not all the other things that that you mentioned. But more often, officers are put in a situation where they are. They are they respond to calls that are domestic related. Uh, you are dealing with multiple uh, situations going on inside the home. If there's children inside the home, you're dealing with children. Uh, it depending upon the age of, 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 of the victim or, or the suspect. So there there is. There's a lot of different things that a police officer is dealing with, and you're trying to decide which is the best. Uh, how do you how do you deal with this situation the best? Now, in a lot of states, you know, if a police officer sees a sign that uh, that either the man or the woman has signs of, of any kind of injury, you know, most likely somebody's going to go to jail. Uh, and you know, oftentimes it's the 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 woman who has the injuries, uh, but you know the talk about the uh, where men are the victims of domestic violence. I will tell you, I don't. You know, in my time of being uh, being a patrol officer and in in now you know being in administrative level, you don't see a lot of um, resources for men. Uh, to go somewhere to get away from the, the you know, their wife or their girlfriend, uh, and, you know, and, the only alternative. And, and Chief, let me just say that uh, I didn't mean to cut you off because I'm getting some pushback on, and and at at no 
place. As I mentioned to Cecilina, uh, and 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 the, I never said that there is some balance. God forbid, in terms of men and women domestic violence. I never said that. I I, I just asked a question. The only reason I asked the question to you, sis, and to Chief, is that the, the fact is that my brother, um, I, I was in the midst of something where my brother was getting beat the hell out of by his his woman, his his wife who was intoxicated, and and mm-hmm. I I would be to both of you. It'd be, it be three in the morning. I get a call like, hey, I need you to come get me. He's got all these bruises mm-hmm. on his face, right? And the cops are like, you need to come get him or he's going to jail. And he would be like, I mean, they would get into it. I'm just being real. they get into it. She'd be sober enough. He'd have all the bruises, and he was going to go to jail. That's the only reason I brought it up. And, and those rare, and I said that, in those rare situations, you might have a woman that might get away with that, and that's the situation. I never said it was any balance um, or any any creed to the fact that men are are not are getting as abused as as women. I never said that. I was, I was just making that point, but I but I was mm-hmm. also saying is that to 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 the both of you is that culturally we all as black people, I think that uh, we just go, we just say, stop doing it or just leave him or whatever the case may be. And to your guests, I'm just saying it's not that simple either way, whether my brother keeps going back to his ex-wife and she keeps getting him in trouble or to your guests who um, unfortunately got, Thank God she got out of it, but that it's not that simple. Is my point is what I was really yeah. was trying to say. And then you and you as a police chief bringing your officers in file, you're playing, you know, social workers and and nothing. There's a no win at all in any of that, Chief Green. And that's all I was really saying to the points of people hitting me saying, "Oh, you, you know, sticking up for the guys and all this kind of stuff." And the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, I know we got a lot of people on the line listening uh, to the show because this is, you know, a topic that is not often talked about. And if it is talked about, it's talk, talked about behind closed doors. It's not talked about a lot out in open. And uh, Helena, one of the things that, you know, we talked about that I mentioned earlier was the LGBTQ community. What has been your experience uh, being a, a victim of domestic violence, being an advocate uh, for domestic violence, dealing with people that are uh, homeless, when you have the the same, um, you know, sex, you know, where you have uh, a woman, uh, two women who are in an abusive relationship, or you have two men who are in an abusive relationship, what has been your experience dealing with the same type of uh, same-sex domestic violence? Um, I will say that I had a very close friend that um, was gay, and he was dating this guy that would beat him every weekend when he started drinking. And he would mm-hmm. never, ever leave this guy 
because one, the stigma of being gay is already big. Oh yeah. Two, now we've added domestic violence. So now we're saying you're gay and you're getting beat on. So everything mm-hmm. was swallowed swallowed in for him. He stayed until the guy beat him into having a stroke and left him. Usually in the um, what I've seen in the LGBTQ community is they stay until the abuser leaves if it's not too late and they're beat to death. That has mm-hmm. been my experience. Okay. It's okay. really detrimental. Okay. Well, hey, Helena, we're getting ready to come up uh, and take our, our next break, but I want to remind our listeners for all of those who, who are on the line or on the chat room, uh, if you got any comments or questions, please leave those with the producer. We'll get those uh, answered on air. But um, we're talking with our guest, uh, Helena. Uh, this is uh, Domestic uh, Violence Awareness Month. Um, but we're going to, when we come out of this break, we're going to talk about how silent uh, the black community is, especially our churches related to domestic violence. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store, it's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine, beer, and spirits. 8,000 different wines, 2,500 different beers, 3,000 spirits, and friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, want to welcome everyone back to You and the Law broadcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, where today we have on a special guest uh, who is the uh, president of a uh, nonprofit organization uh, that does uh, community outreach uh, related to domestic violence uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so uh, she is also a survivor of domestic violence, and uh, she is here sharing with us her story and and how her uh, nonprofit organization is out in the community in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, helping men, women, and uh, people who are with the LGBTQ community who are uh, fall victims to domestic violence, where they become homelessness, they become homeless, and uh, there's not a lot of resources out there to uh, to assist them. So. 
you know, we definitely thank you uh, for taking the time to come on the show uh, and talk to us about this important topic. And, you know, I'll say this. I think, you know, this is something that, you know, I would like to do another show on because I think, you know, just the, the amount of time that we have, you're not able to cover uh, a lot uh, related to this. And I think this is something that, you know, even just sharing it on our social media platforms, you, there wasn't a lot of people who really engaged. There were some people who engaged, uh, uh, but not a lot of people engaged. And it's kind of concerning, uh, Helena, where, you know, people can get on TikTok and, man, they'll they'll like something or, you know, next thing you know, it's gotten over uh, thousands and thousands of, of likes or reviews. But when we talk about domestic violence, it's just people are just quiet about it. Okay. It's the taboo of it. I feel that, you know, it's it's the the secret killer. No one wants to talk about what's a secret. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. And, and, And you know, I'm sorry, what I have to say about social media, you know, you were talking about um, the lady that was getting filmed being raped. In this, yes. in this society now, it is normal to just pick up your phone and record a tragedy instead of being someone to intervene, to say, stop, let me dial 911. And, and, and it is crazy. It is just absolutely insane. But that's our culture now. Yeah, it is. And I tell you, you know, the came out, it was just very disturbing to know that so many people did not jump in to assist this woman and to prevent what was happening. Um, And, you know, we've got people, you know, you always hear the, the, about New York. Oh, well, you know, people will walk over somebody who's dead or people are, they're just, people are just in such a, you know, rush to get to where they're going. And there's so much that they see that this is just like everyday it's, it's common to them, but we've seen just with the, you know, with the surge of social media, with TikTok, with, you know, Facebook, with, um, you know, uh, Instagram and so many other things where people are uploading videos of people that they don't even know, and they're sharing this, this violence uh, with, with everybody, and, but they're not doing anything to stop it. And even inside of the schools where we've seen, you know, students, you know, girls who have become victims of domestic violence in schools and, you know, the videos are shared uh, through social media. But I want to get to the to something I, I brought up as we were going to break. And I know it's going to hit, you know, a nerve with some people, but I think this is just part of the conversation. Uh, there is – there is just a there is uh, I don't hear and I don't see Helena a lot of of black churches getting involved with domestic violence awareness and I don't you know the statistics that I read off earlier was over thirty seven percent of pastors don't believe that their own members are victims of domestic violence and sexual assault so what what does that say about the the state of churches where you've got a, you're supposed to go to church to 
you know, to listen to the uh, to the to the preacher, you know, give a good sermon, but also where are they at when it comes to uh, providing resources or providing uh, just that other outlet in the community when it comes to domestic violence? Because the numbers are there because the numbers are high, but you've got so many people who just say, "Nah, that's not happening here." Uh, this is what I would, this is this is my thoughts on those, and these are my thoughts. My thoughts are the church is ran predominantly by men, and for a woman to say, "Here's um, Johnny's hitting me," to pastor, and pastor would say, "No, jo- not Johnny. That's not the same Johnny I know that comes and he's on the deacon board and he he's in the choir and he." He's here every time we have a meeting. When the church door is open, Johnny's right here. I don't believe Johnny's doing that because mm-hmm. Johnny's his friend, and Johnny wouldn't do that. And so the women of the church get quiet because mm-hmm. why tell someone your secret when they're not going to listen? And then all of a sudden you are now the person that they're looking at. You're the problem, not the person that's beating you. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that's why so many women, again, are, you know, it's almost kind of like, who do I turn to? You know, you're, you're mm-hmm. oftentimes family members are reluctant to get involved. Uh, law enforcement, there's this trust between the law enforcement and the, uh, and the black community with the criminal justice system and, and social services. But I think another part of this conversation, Helena, is that there are not a lot of organizations like like your organizations where it's people that look like you are helping people who are victims who we, we look like each other. Uh, do you see that as being plays some type of, of, of a role in people reaching out to get assistance because if they do go somewhere, those individuals who are working there don't look like them. I absolutely agree. Um, it's, it's looking like them and also being able to say, I've been there and I know exactly what you're feeling and I know exactly how it feels to um want to tell somebody what's going on and no one's listening. And I know what it's like to say, I need to leave, but I have no place to go. And again, mm-hmm. there's a big stigma about domestic violence and especially about going to a shelter. Can you imagine a mother having to take her three children to a shelter? And so when the school bus picked the kids up, they're picking them up from a shelter. And so yeah. now the kids are being bullied. So the mother's dealing with the stress of this man's beating me. My kids are unhappy because of me being with this man. And here we are in this big circle with no one to help me and and no place to go. Yeah. Well, you know, we've seen movies that have portrayed uh, black women uh, that pretty much, you know, where the characters are probably being raised in the 60s where, you know, even the the mothers told their daughters, just stay there. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's providing for you. Mm-hmm. He, you know, you got a home, you know, 
mm-hmm. but they know and they see the the wounds, they see the injuries, and they hear these daughters are talking to their moms about it. But it was just in that era that the the mothers uh, were telling their daughters to to just stay with them because oh he you know he just going through. So I, I just how does that how do how do you wrap your mind around where? You've got a family member or even a parent telling you to stay there uh, because that's the best place you can be. Um, You can't wrap your mind around it when um, you're a victim because you have no one and no place to go. But I want to I want to say this um, as a domestic violence survivor, one thing that we always hear is you should leave and the other thing we hear is you should stay. So imagine Mm -hmm. being beat every day and one person saying you should leave and the other person saying you should stay. Imagine Mm -hmm. the confusion. And here's another thing in domestic violence. If you are being abused, your partner has already isolated you from your family. Yeah. So that's that. That's an issue all within itself. You're yeah. isolated from your family. You don't go visit your family. You don't talk to your family. He is your family. He mm-hmm. he talks down to you. He and so that everything is all mental. And what happens with survivors is a lot of times they don't go get help because in the black community it's taboo to even go to a counselor. So we got yeah, to break well, all these taboos. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I think that's why, you know, having this conversation uh, like we are now about, you know, domestic violence and, you know, it's October, it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and the fact that this is a conversation that should be had, you know, every, you know, it's 365 days a year about uh, domestic violence because when you look at the statistics and it shows the uh, high number uh, of women of color who are victims of domestic violence. And, and I'll even say this, and I think even in the law, you know, being in the law enforcement community, some of these numbers are, are underreported. And, and so you, you have to believe uh, that these numbers are even higher than what they are being reported because oftentimes the police officers fail to report the information uh, to them. They just want to go there because maybe they've been to this home multiple times. Maybe they've dealt with the wife and the husband. So they're just saying, hey, y'all work out your problems. I'm not your social worker, and we're out the door. But unfortunately, Helena, one of these times when you go to that home, somebody is going to be seriously injured or there's going to be a death inside of that home and it's all all those things could have been prevented mm-hmm. absolutely i agree I, I'm, I'm that survivor when they finally came to that home someone was dead and i was in the hospital so i, wow. I agree wow 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 and, and you know and i think you know the you know the the stories that you are able to share as being a survivor. Some women don't survive. And and I think it's real important for men to for, for for black men to 
play a role in having these conversations. And I think this is why when, you know, me and uh, my co-host Chief Humphrey talked about a, what type of show we were going to have today, instantly, you know, we talked about domestic violence because Chief Humphrey had reached out to you, and I think he uh, uh, came and, and spoke at an org- – or maybe you came and uh, done something with him there in Little Rock. But it's real important that black men uh, be a part of this conversation and not just where women are a part of this conversation. Exactly. I think it's time that we stop normalizing abuse. It's becoming yeah. normalized. Yes. It's, I saw my dad yeah. do it. You know, it's normal. That's what happens when 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 I get mad at you because that's what my dad did to my mom. It's normalized. Mm-hmm. We we're gonna have to. I think that it's time for us to teach our black men to protect us black women. Yeah. I yeah. think it's time to and, normalize protecting us. Yeah, and and also, you know, you know, people. A part of this conversation is when drugs and alcohol is used, uh, people become impaired. People become uh, they're not the same person. And I think oftentimes people use that as a to say, well, hey, he's a good person or she's a good person. Uh, they're just, you know, when they get to drinking alcohol or getting to use illegal drugs, they become somebody else. Well, you're making an excuse for it. And I think, you know, this is why our kids, our, our young girls and our, and, our, and our young boys, when they experience domestic violence in a home, that carries, that can, can impact throughout their, you know, uh, teenage uh, years as well as when they become an adult. Exactly. Again, so. it's normalized. It's what I saw all my life. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, Helena, we're coming up on the last few minutes of the show, and, you know, I've got to, because, again, I think we got so many people who are listening to the show who are probably not, you know, want to come on and actually talk about their experience or just talk about, uh, you know, what they've seen related to domestic violence. But, you know, I would, you know, I think it's real important uh, to, uh, as as we end this month to talk about the experiences of what the same sex uh, domestic violence that deals with the LGBTQ community. So, you know, we're going to reach, I'm going to reach back out to you so we can try to do another show next, uh, uh, next Tuesday to kind of recap on domestic violence, uh, because I think that's another important, uh, piece of this conversation is the LGBTQ community and and have someone who is a survivor uh, in that community come on and, and talk about um, what they experienced, how they dealt with law enforcement, because I know a lot, oftentimes, a lot of police officers, they just turn around and walk away when they see that it's two men uh, fighting with each other, you know, or they see it's two women fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so hey, I want to remind everybody uh, that if you miss any parts of this live show, that you can go to thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, and listen to the rebroadcast of this show. 
but definitely tune in uh, next Tuesday for another uh, live episode of You and the Law uh, broadcast show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're going to pick this conversation back up and, and continue the conversation about uh, domestic violence uh, awareness. But you've been listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.